John chapter 13 is where we're going today. Um, it's going to take us a while to get there, um, but I will land the plane there eventually, I promise. Uh, we are in the last week of a series called Don't Miss This, and we have been talking about, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about things that we don't want you to miss um, as we kick off 2021. Um, quick review, week number one, we talked that our goal is to be a church and create an environment um, that the de-church and the unchurch love to attend. Uh, week number two, we said one of, the, one of the ways that we can get there is we need to start being aware of, of self-righteousness, and we talked about the dangers of self-righteousness. Uh, week number three, we kicked off our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we talked about the, the necessity of putting Jesus first in our life. And we can't let all of these other things distract us and, and get us off mission. We have to stay focused on Jesus. Last week, we took a pop quiz. That was a lot of fun, right? Uh, that, if I could just like lay my cards on the table, um, top five. Probably one of the top five most difficult messages I've ever preached through. Um, if you missed that, go ahead and jump online and watch it at yourcentralchurch.com or, or YouTube. You can find it there. Um, next week, we're starting a brand new series called From Wounds to Wins. It's going to be really cool. Um, but today, we're finishing up this Don't Miss This series. It's a little bit different than I originally intended it, um, but I think it drives home the same point that I wanted to get to. Um, let, me, let me set it up like this. There are things... Um, in our lives, for all of us, things that we just believe. And, and sometimes we don't really know why we believe them, other than we've just been told that thing over and over and over and over again. Maybe grandma told us, grandpa told us, mom or dad told us, or our friends told us, or, or, or TV or the media have told us, and they're just things that we just, we, we just assume. We don't really investigate. It's just one of those things that's been around forever, and so we just, we just hold it as truth. We hear something, and, and, and we, don't even, we don't even stop to question it. We just think, well, that's the way that it is. L let me explain it like this, and, and I'm, I'm going to really... I'm going to really jack with your heads this morning, all right, at the beginning of this Is that all right? Everybody okay with that? Um, when I was a kid, there was a show that came on every day called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How many of you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? How many of you love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? I mean, you just love to watch it. It came on. Now, when he came through the front door, he sang a song every day. What song did he sing? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful, right? That's what he said. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? That's what he said. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, yes? What if I told you for years we've been singing that wrong? What if I told you that he said it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood? Would that mess with your head? Check us out. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. It's you a didn't know, did you? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Today in this neighborhood. You can't get it out of your head now. You just, you just can't. So things that we just think and we just assume, and we've been doing them our entire lives, and so we think that's the way that it is. Let's do another one. When Forrest Gump, everybody knows Forrest Gump, right? When Forrest Gump is sitting on the bench waiting for the bus, what does he say about the box of chocolates? My mama said, life is like a box of chocolates, Janet. Right? Isn't that, what he, isn't that what he said? Life is like a box of chocolates. Yes? Life is like a box of chocolates. What if I told you he said life was like a box of chocolates? Check this out. 
My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Life was like a box of chocolates. Life was like a box How many of you are like, you just ruined my day? Like, so honestly, like, that's just messed up. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> what the heck does Mr. Rogers and Forrest Gump have to do with the Bible, church, and Jesus? Well, just like, just like in, in regular life, in Christianity, we hear people use the phrase, the Bible says, followed by a statement. And many times, that statement is not true. For example, finish this sentence. The Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, this is, this is where this, this comes from. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, the Bible says, no temptation. Everybody say temptation. Temptation. That's what this is talking about. Temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This has nothing to do with circumstances being more than we can handle. But we take that and we say, God said, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can handle. It doesn't say that. How about this one? The Bible says money is the root of all. doesn't say that. doesn't say that at all. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, but not money is the root of all evil one more the bible says god helps those who help themselves don't say that don't say that anywhere it says a lazy man will not eat but it does not say god helps those who help themselves but we've been told these things over and over and over again and so we just assume that's what the bible says now now listen here's my disclaimer today i love the bible the bible's actually my favorite book and i know i'm supposed to say that because I'm the pastor, um, but, but, but it is. The Bible's my, my most favorite book. The Bible actually um, is a collection of 66 letters or documents that form a book, and it, it's my favorite. Um, I try to read a little bit from it every single day. I normally read through a different version of the Bible every year. Um, the Bible encourages me. The Bible challenges me. The Bible teaches me. I really, really, really do love the Bible. It really, really is my favorite book. But I believe that the phrase, the Bible says, I, I believe that that phrase has actually been used to push more people away from Jesus than to draw people in. I'm not saying, listen, everything I'm saying this morning, don't, don't hear me say the Bible is wrong. I'm not saying the Bible is wrong. I'm not saying the Bible is bad. But people use this phrase, the Bible says, and what usually follows is, the Bible says you need to stop. The Bible says you need to knock it off. The Bible says you're going to hell. And, and I believe that that phrase, the Bible says, has been used, once again, more to push people away than to draw people to Jesus. Let, let, let me give you a personal example. Um, when I got my first tattoo, I, I have two tattoos, um, but when I got my first one, I had the Bible says people. I, I had people coming up to me with, the Bible says you shouldn't get a tattoo. The Bible says you should, you're a pastor, and the Bible says you shouldn't get a tattoo. Now, technically, technically, they were correct. The Bible says in Leviticus 19.28, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself, for I am the Lord. Now, now this is the verse right here. 
that people have used for years and years and years and years to hammer on people with tattoos. If you have a tattoo and you've ever heard somebody say, if you're a Christian, you can't have a tattoo, this is the verse that they use right here. What people don't understand is that this right here was written, well, actually the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus was written to a specific group of people, the Israelites, for a specific time, addressing a specific issue, and the issue was people putting tattoo marks on their body to identify themselves as pagan worshipers. Make no mistake about it. The tattoos that I have are not for pagan worship, I promise. That's not the reason I got tattoos. I'm, I have one right here. Is a cross. I'm made out of three nails. I got one over here. It's the empty tomb. All right, so, so not pagan worship. But the Bible says, people, they were taking this verse completely out of context. And, 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 and let me say this about this and all of Leviticus. If, if we all were living according to what is written in the book of Leviticus, we would all be dead because there's some stuff in there that would get every single one of us killed. And so these people were coming to me, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And so I started saying, well, you know, just a few verses later, the Bible says, stand up in the presence of the aged. Do you stand up when old people walk into the room? Well, no. Then shut up about my tattoo. Listen, the Bible says a lot. It does. And it says, it says a lot. It says a lot of great, 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 great things. But, but people love to treat it cafeteria style. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? It's picking and choosing and picking and choosing. I want this, but I don't want that. I'll take this, but I don't, I don't need any of that. Um, I, I heard, I heard R.C. Sproul say this one time, um, and it's really, really struck with me, um, and, and I'm totally ripping this off from him, and I'm using that disclaimer because R.C. Sproul um, is one of the greatest uh, theologians who has ever lived, ever and, um, and he made this statement, I get accused all the time um, of being a heretic, and so I'm just going to back this up with one of the greatest theologians of all time made this statement, and Pastor Ryan ripped it off from him. He said this, he said, I believe the Bible is equally inspired, right? Because we know that, we, we, we know that, that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's inspired by God. And so all scripture equally inspired. Then he said this. But I don't believe that all the Bible is equally relevant. I believe all the Bible equally inspired. I don't believe the entire Bible to be equally relevant. Now, this is where some of you might be getting really angry. The, the Bible says, people, right? Because, once again, my favorite book. But you're like, you can't say that. You can't say the entire Bible isn't equally relevant Technically, I can. I want to prove it to you. I want to show you um, a couple of verses that you would not put on a coffee mug, a T-shirt, a bumper sticker, or whatever. All right? I'm, I'm just going to give you a couple of the many that I pulled out. <laughs> Here we go. Y'all going to love this. This is great. Uh, this first one brings out like the middle school boy in me, just, let, just letting you know. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11, we see this. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant as she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. Now, I have a couple of questions here. They're legit questions. Number one, like was this a problem? 
Like, is this really a problem? Like, the only reason you have to write something down and make it a rule is because it's a problem. Hey, my husband's in a fight. I think I know what I'll do. <laughs> I mean, technically, technically, like, that'll stop a fight, right? I mean, you could say that'll take the fight out of a man, five on two. Like, that'll just stop it. But, but can we all agree? Don't get mad. This is just, this is just, put that scripture back up there, the whole thing, the first part, so they can see it. Keep that up there. That's not what Pastor Ryan says. That's just what the Bible says. Can, can we admit that that right there is not very relevant in today's society? If somebody's marriage is hurting, hey, i got a couple verses for you I think might help. All of the Bible is equally inspired, but I don't think all the Bible is equally relevant. How about this one? Leviticus 26, verse 27 says, In spite of this, you shall do... Uh, in spite of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile toward me. Then in my anger, I will be hostile towards you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. Anyone in here ever been hostile or upset with God then eating your own kid? Anybody done that? One more, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or their mother, their blood will be on their own head. Any teenagers super excited about this one? Anyone who's ever been a teenager super excited about that one? I, I would say this. There are a lot of people probably in the past 10, 15, 20 years that have walked away from the Christian faith because of attacks on the Bible. But like, like, like you grew up thinking and understanding and knowing that the Bible is true, and then you go away to college and you have a college professor who maybe told you the Bible wasn't true. Or you watched a Stephen Hawking's video or a Rich and Richard Dawkins video. Or, or maybe you saw something on the History Channel, something that attacked the Bible. And, and, and all of those things seemingly on the surface, they had really good arguments. And so you looked at them and you took them for face value. And because of that, you doubted the Bible. And because you doubted the Bible, you doubted your faith. I know a lot. I, actually, I know too many people who have walked away from God and walked away from church because they saw something in the Bible or they were told something's in, in the Bible that they just didn't like. They saw something that they didn't agree with or they didn't understand or they thought that it was a contradiction and they completely walked away from the faith because of what they thought the Bible says or because what they were told that the Bible says, which is why it's so important for us to remember this concept right here. And this is one of the most important things I'll tell you this morning. I am not a Christian because of what the Bible says. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus did. Do you understand that? I'm not a Christian because of what the Bible says. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus did. In fact, we can get even more specific than that. The resurrection of Jesus, not the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation on which Christianity is built. We are not followers of Jesus Christ because of a book. We are followers of Jesus Christ because of an event. Because if we don't have the resurrection, we don't even have the Bible. It's the resurrection. It's the empty tomb that gives us hope as followers of Jesus. Because listen, don't miss this. The Bible didn't even exist for the first 350 years of Christianity, and they reached half the known world. Half. You know how? Because they believed a guy rose from the dead. That's the foundation of our faith. And, and here's the thing I want you to get. Here's the thing that you need to understand about me. I don't believe the resurrection just because the Bible says it. It's bigger than that. It's more important than that. There are people who actually saw it and wrote about it. I believe the resurrection because there's a guy named Matthew 
who was a follower of Jesus. He saw Jesus crucified, and he saw Jesus die, and he watched Jesus rise from the dead. He wrote a story about it. It's in the Bible. It's called the book of Matthew. I believe in the resurrection because of a guy named Mark. He was a disciple of Peter. He sat down with Peter, and he interviewed him for an eyewitness account of what Peter had saw, and he wrote down everything that Peter said. That's the book of Mark. I believe the resurrection because of a guy named Luke. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke says, we've carefully, carefully, carefully investigated all of these things. And he took those things that he investigated and he wrote down the, the account of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a guy named John. John was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. Wrote an entire book about how Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised to life again. These are eyewitness accounts of Jesus and it goes even further than that. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And then look at this, and so is your faith. Paul said the whole thing, the entire thing, hinges not on a book, but on an event called the resurrection. Now, I say all of that, I'm not to discount the Bible. Again, I love the Bible, but I say it to refocus our attention as followers of Jesus that the foundation of our faith is actually built on the resurrection. Because listen, for, for me, and, and, and this, is, this, is, this is just for me, I'm trying my best as a follower of Jesus to lean into what Jesus said, what the recorded words of Jesus say. And, and Jesus, for me, over the past several months, as I've poured into personally where I need to grow and I've poured into um, where do I where, where do where do we need to go as a church and where do I need to be um, as your pastor um, for this this whole idea of this campaign of this thing that we're we're pushing through and we're getting ready to launch in 2021 of the URRY what I'm trying to lean into and, and the whole driving force behind that for me is what God has been speaking to me in the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. These are verses that, that are really, really, really driving me and everything that I'm doing and everything I'm trying to do right now. And maybe, maybe this morning you can see these things, and, and maybe they'll be a driving force for you as well. But this is what Jesus said, starting in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Now, now so I'll stop, and don't miss this. He didn't say an additional command I give you, because if he had said that, they would have just rolled their eyes. They would have been like, are you kidding me? We already have 16, 618 commands, Jesus, and, and, and they couldn't keep the 618 that they had. Like, they couldn't keep the 10, right? They couldn't keep the 10 commandments. They couldn't keep the 618 other commandments that they had. And, and, and so, and, and that, was, that was just the written law, right? The oral law, there were like an additional 3,000 commands that they had to keep if you wanted to be pure. Kind of like a lot of churches today. They just keep adding stuff and adding stuff. The Bible says, but Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you an additional command. He didn't say that. He said, I'm giving you a new command. Think about it like this. Quick question. It's not a trick question. This is an easy question. If you get something new, what do you do with the old? What do you do with it? Just throw it away, kind of push it off to the side, right? How many of you have ever gotten a new phone? How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you have ever gotten a new phone? What did you do with your old phone? What did you do with it? You, like, you traded it in or you put it on eBay or for sale or swap or marketplace or you gave it to your kid, right? Just imagine 
what your life would look like if you carried around every cell phone you've ever owned. Like some of you wouldn't be able to walk, right? Like that would just be absolutely crazy. And that's what's happening right here. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm giving you something in addition to what you already have. He said, I'm giving you something brand new to focus on. Then he said this, love one another. Now, now hold up. Like, if he would have just stopped right there, like, that would have been one of the most craziest, confusing verses in the Bible. Love one another? Sounds kind of hippie, right? Let's get in a room, man, and just hug and meditate and talk about rainbows and butterflies, man. Anyway, (laughs) but Jesus, Jesus goes on to explain it. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Those five words change everything. Those five words are huge. As I have loved you. Jesus didn't say, don't miss this. Jesus didn't say, you get to define love. Jesus said, I'm defining love. And the way I'm defining love is by the way I have loved you. Now, he's sitting around the table with 11 guys. All right, Judas had already left for the night to go betray him. And I can't prove this, but I believe he looked at each one of them in the eye And he smiled when he said, as I have loved you. And then he's like, so you must love one another. And then he said this, and and this is huge. Don't miss this. He says, by this, by this, by what I just said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Jesus said, people will know that we are his by the way that we yell and scream scripture at other people. No. Jesus said, The world will know that we are his by the way we hold up our signs and condemn other people to hell. Mm -mm. Jesus said the world will know that we are his by how many Bible verses we have memorized. No, Jesus said the world will know we're his by how? The way we love one another, right? Listen, I know a lot of people that can quote the Bible, but they don't have a single ounce of love for other people in their hearts. And that's just wrong. That is wrong. That is us missing the mark. Now, let's talk about a few of these guys for a minute. I'm not going to go through all 11, but let's just think about the people that were at the table with Jesus. Because when he said, just as I have loved you, you must love one another, that was a strong statement to every man that was sitting at the table. Because all of those guys had screwed up at some point in their life. All of those guys had done some things that were absolutely crazy, and and God in the flesh looked at them and said, hey, as jacked up, as messed up as you are, you need to love each other because I love you. Think about these guys. Matthew. We talk about Matthew a lot around here, and I I talk about this concept a lot, and I teach about this a lot because it just absolutely blows my mind that Jesus loved Matthew. How much did Jesus love Matthew? We'll we'll look at what Matthew says in Matthew 9, verse 9. He says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, I want to stop real quick and remind everybody, we do not have a moral equivalent of a tax collector. This is not just the, the IRS agent, man. This is way, way worse. This was lowest of the low in Jewish society. This was so low that as you read the Gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see sinners 
and then you see tax collectors. Tax collectors were so bad they couldn't even be called sinners. They had their own category. It was the most morally shameful thing that you could do. Tax collectors were considered scum of the earth. Tax collectors had turned their back on God. In order to be a tax collector, you had to turn your back on the temple. In order to be a tax collector, you had to turn your back on your own people. Nobody, 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 nobody loved tax collectors. And here we see Jesus walking up to a tax collector, and what does he say? Come on, follow me. Follow me. That's mind-blowing to me. Because he could have said, stop it. Knock it off. The Bible says he, he could have done all of that stuff. But Jesus looks at Matthew. Don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Jesus looks at Matthew while he is in the act of sinning. And he says, I want you right now, just as you are, to follow me. See, the message that we preach in the church today, and we've preached this message for far too long, but the message is change and you can follow Jesus. But Jesus simply said, follow me and you will change. And the Bible says that Matthew got up and follow Jesus right then and there. And the lesson from that that I keep walking away with in, in this is, is this. Jesus is not in love with some future version of me. Jesus is not in love with some future version of you. Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, if you'll start getting everything right, if you'll stop doing these things and start doing these things, then you can have my love. No, 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 no. Jesus said, Matthew, I want you right now just as you are. I know you think you're scum of the earth, but I'm going to use you, Matthew, to change the world. That's how much. That's how much Jesus loved Matthew. Now, there's some other people at the table, people like James and John. Let me set these guys up like this. All of us, all of us, all of us. Look, look at your neighbor right now and say, this includes you. Go ahead and say it. Uh, that's absolutely freeing, all right? That all of us have done some things in our life that are very selfish and very self-centered, right? Nobody in here is going, man, I've never struggled with being selfish. None of us. All of us have been selfish. Last week we called it out as greedy. Um, I've talked about this before. I've made this joke before. It's mostly true. Um, I don't like to share food. Anybody else? Like, I don't, I don't like to share food. This illustration really came to life in the first service because my daughter was sitting right here, and um, it was just incredible. Like, like, I am not the guy you ask, can I have a bite of that? No, you cannot have a bite of this. Well, I just want one bite. You should have ordered your own. Like, like that, that's, that's me. Anybody else like that? The other night, Thursday night, we got done with a wrestling meet, and, and we were in Boone, and we went to the Saints Cafe in Boone. Pretty good food. It's a buffet. And so we went in there, got all, we got done eating, and I got banana pudding. All right, I've been working out, been doing something, going to the gym. I'm like, I'm going to reward myself with some banana pudding. I got banana pudding. I got down, I ate that banana. It's like, whoo, this is really good. And my beautiful, brown-eyed, lovely little girl reaches across the table with a spoon and scoops some up and put it in her mouth. What the heck are you doing? This is my banana pudding. I just wanted to buy I don't care. Get your own. And she's like, ooh, that really is good. She started to reach across again. I said, you reach across again, I'm going to stab you with my fork. And she got about three quarters of the way. I put my fork like this, and she pulled back. She's like, you really going to stab me? Yes. Get your own. As a matter of fact, you have messed up mine. Here, you can have mine. I'll get up and go get some more. <laughs> I'm selfish. 
I'm 100% selfish. Well, two people at the table with Jesus, James and John, essentially do the same thing to Jesus as well. They don't stab him with a fork, um, but they're, they're pretty upset. They, they do some really crazy thing. Have you, ever, have you ever just poured your heart out to somebody, and after you've poured your heart out to them, they just, they just don't get it? In fact, they seem to be a little insensitive to it. That's what happens right here. Um, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and Mark writes this down in chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. All those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Like, this is Jesus opening up his heart to them, going, guys, I'm going to get killed. I'm, I'm going to die. He goes on to say this in verse 34. They will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so don't miss this. This is an, this is an incredible moment. This is an intense moment with Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, guys, man, they're, they're going to kill me. They're going to spit on me. I'm going to be flogged. They're, they're going to mock me. Like, guys, it is, this is, this is going to get really bad. And then watch what happens in this very next verse. This is, this is crazy. But this is who's sitting with Jesus. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him. Teacher, they said, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other sit on your left hand in your glory. You, you think they missed the point? Yes. Jesus is going, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. And they come to him and they go, hey, man. That's awful. That breaks my heart. That's going to be crazy. But um, you think you could do something for us? When you come into your glory, can one of us sit on your right hand and the other sit on your left? That was a very selfish, very self-centered, very self-focused thing. And don't miss this. Jesus still loved them through it. And the reason that is important is because there are some of us, and I say us because I'm included in this, there are some of us that at some point in our lives, we've done things that are very selfish, very self-centered, very self-focused. Maybe we have done things that have even caused pain and hurt to other people. And, and, and then when that happens, whether we've done it or it's been done to us, we start to think things like, well, well, well does God love me? Does God love me even though I was self-centered and self-focused and, and self-righteous? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. Well, how do you know, Ryan? Because he loved James and he loved John. That's, that, that's one of the most, that story right there is one of those prominent examples of selfishness we see in the Bible. And Jesus still loved them both. There's another guy sitting at the table. His name is Thomas. Thomas is known for doing what? Doubting, right? Thomas is known as the guy who doubted. But you know Thomas wasn't the only person sitting at that table that doubted? Because, see, there, there are people here today, listen, let's just be honest. There are people here today, you have, at some point in your life, you have doubted things about God. You, you, doubt, you doubt things like whether he loves you at times, right? But, let, let, there's not a single person here, let's be honest. There's a single person here that hasn't doubted God's love for them at some point in your life. Well, it, 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 how can God love me if I've done this? How can God love me if I struggle with this? How can God love me if this is who I am, Right? Not only that, not only do we struggle with, does God love me, but, but I, I think we've all doubted the presence of God. 
Because you come in here and, you, and you've got a pastor who tells you that, that God loves you, is always with you, and has wonderful plans for you, has greater plans for you than you have for yourself. And, and you're like, ah, oh no. I don't know, God, Ryan. I mean, if God loved me and God is always with me, where was he during that thing? Where was he when the all hell broke loose time in my life? Where was he during this? There are people, can we just admit, we doubt God's love. We doubt God's mercy. We, we, we doubt God's presence when bad things happen, when tragedies, stuff like that happens. When things don't go our way, we begin to doubt God. And then we're told, the Bible says if you doubt God, you lack faith. The Bible says if you doubt God, God doesn't love you. Do you know that's not true? That's not. God loves us even when we doubt. There's a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew called the Great Commission. Um, many of us know it, but there's some verses that are intertwined with that, kind of tacked on at the beginning, that we don't really talk about a lot. And if you've ever doubted God or his love, or if you've even doubted his faithfulness, if you've ever doubted him at all, I want you to see this passage because I think you might be encouraged. Um, Matthew writes this in chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted implying more than Thomas, right? Now, first of all, a couple things here. I want to give you some comfort because maybe you've never been told this. You can worship Jesus and doubt at the same time. You know that? You can worship Jesus and doubt at the same time. That's a dichotomy that we don't talk about a lot. We can worship and doubt at the same time. Matthew said so. Not the Bible says. Matthew wrote it down. Now, how in the world can we think that we're going to somehow escape doubt in our lives when some of the men who saw Jesus physically resurrected are going, I don't know. I, I don't know. Got a cousin done this one time. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, they're doubting. But Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus in this passage does not rebuke them for their doubt. Watch what he says. Verse 17. And they saw him. They worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Watch this. And surely I am with you always. That means even in your doubt, right? Surely I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. And so if you're here and you've had a tough time this past week, this past month, this past year, this past five years, if you've gone through some seasons of doubt, so did the disciples. So did the guys who were closest to him. And Jesus said, I'll be with you even in your doubt. These are the guys Jesus is sitting with at the table, and he says, as I have loved you, you need to love one another. Well, let's talk about one more. <laughs> the, this guy, this is like everybody's favorite guy, Peter. You've heard me say it before. If you ever need to feel better about yourself, just go to the Bible and read some of the stupid stuff that Peter did. I mean, Peter was nuts, man. Peter cussed out a girl one time. Peter cut off a guy's ear. Peter, like violent tendencies in Peter, which is probably why I identify with him so well. But, but Peter is having a conversation with Jesus one time, and it's crazy. It's somewhat disturbing. Now, as I read this to you, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second. Remember, 
Remember what Peter ultimately does, all right? Ultimately, Peter denies Jesus, all right? And so Jesus comes up to Peter, and this is what he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Now stop. If I'm Peter, I'm like, all right, time out. <laughs> Why? Why are y'all talking about me? Why are you even having a conversation about me? Because I'm automatically worried because in the Hebrew mind, in that time period, the only time there's ever been a conversation with Satan and God was with Job. We talked about this a little bit in week number two, right? And we understand that things did not go well for Job. Now, everybody always says, oh, but Job finished so strong. Yeah, but it sucked for a long time if you were Job. And so Jesus comes up and says, hey, Pete, Satan has demanded to have you. Not words you want to hear from Jesus, right? I want to hear peace and be still. Fear not, my child. Lazarus, come forth. I want to hear something like that. I don't want to hear something about the devil wanting to have me. Do you? Like, this is how horror movies get made, right? He says, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Whoa. Did you tell him no? Like, Jesus, did you tell him no? He can't have me. Like, sifted like wheat? Jesus, I don't even know what that means, but I know that I don't want that. Listen, Jesus, let's not do the devil any favors. Just shut it down because you're Jesus and he's not. But Jesus keeps going. Look what he says. But I have prayed for you. Great. Awesome. You prayed for me. I'd prefer that you tell the devil no. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, don't miss this. Jesus told Peter, Peter, the devil's coming after you, and you're going to fall. It's okay, though. You'll get your faith back. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. This, to me, is one of the most amazing passages of grace in the entire Bible. Because Jesus is telling Peter, hey, I know you're going to mess up, but after you mess up, you're going to have an opportunity, Peter, to make it right. It blows my mind. See, because we, we know Peter. We know what Peter did. We look at what Peter did. Peter denied Jesus not just once, not twice, but three times. And, and, and we're always looking at that guy going, you know what, man, I would have totally fired that dude. I wouldn't have let him back in my circle. Uh-uh, he ain't working for me. And Jesus actually puts him in charge of the entire thing. This right here is proof that, and I'm saying this for me and for the person or the people out there who feel like you have messed up so bad that Jesus could never love you. Jesus looked at that table. And he looked at Peter, knowing what Peter was going to do, and said, hey, Peter, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love other people. In other words, the best way that I can think of to say this is this. If Jesus can love the disciples, if he can love them through their mess, he can love us through our mess. If he can love them through all the crazy, stupid, dumb things that they had done, he can love us through the crazy, stupid, dumb things that we have done. If, if, if he can, think about this, if he can love Matthew through one of the most horrible sins imaginable, if he can love James and John through their self-righteousness, their self-centeredness, if he can love some of those guys in their season of doubt, if he can love Peter, even though Peter denied him three times and turned his back on him, if he can love all of them, like, like listen, there's nobody here today in any type of way that has messed up as bad as the disciples messed up, and Jesus was still like, yeah, I love you guys. I love you guys. 
And so if Jesus can love them through their mess, then he can love us through our mess, which leads to the challenge for all of us. Because if Jesus can love us through our mess, we should love others through theirs too. If Jesus can love us through our mess, we should love others through theirs too. I, I love the first part of that. That's easy, right? That Jesus can love me through my mess. The second part is tough, though. Loving others through theirs. Loving other people through theirs. But Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus said the world that will know that we're his followers by the way we love one another. Christians, l- listen. The Bible didn't even exist for like the first 350 years after Jesus died. And before the Bible was ever written, people took Jesus at his word. And because people took Jesus at his word and believed in the resurrection, things like orphanages were started. And those were started because Christians got tired of seeing babies taken and abandoned by the Roman world. Christians would go out and take the babies in because that's what Jesus said to do. Love others. Hospitals were started by Christians because when a pandemic or a plague would hit a region, all the healthy people would move out and all the Christians would move in to take care of the sick because Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. It was people taking Jesus at his word, not standing on a moral pedestal and saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but actually stepping into people's lives and saying, as Jesus has loved me, that's how I'm going to love you. So again, went a little bit different direction in this message today. Maybe it was confusing. I, I don't know. But, but here's the thing. If you're today wrestling with doubt or fear or worry or even concern of whether or not God loves you because people have told you the Bible says, the Bible says, I want to put your mind at rest. The Bible says if he loved all those guys, he can love us. That's what the Bible says. If he can love all those guys through all the junk that they had done, then he can love us. And our challenge as followers of Jesus is no matter how messed up we think somebody else is, is to love them like Jesus loves us. Not shout Bible verses at them, not to pretend to be in a better place than them, it's simply to love them as Jesus loves us. Let's pray.